You were living your life, climbing the ladder and carving out a career for yourself. You had big plans and big ideas. And then you had a baby and everything changed. Just like that. All of it came to a screeching halt. Maybe you kept working or maybe you stayed home. Either way, your world suddenly became very small. And though you were never alone, you were always lonely. You silently asked yourself, where did I go? Who is that tired looking woman staring back at me in the mirror? Until you remembered something very important. You aren't just a mother. You are a mother plus artist, a mother plus entrepreneur, a mother plus musician, a mother plus yogi. You can have an identity outside of motherhood. My name is Stacy Hudson. I'm a mother to two under four, plus writer, certified health coach, aspiring entrepreneur, and athlete. My name is Stephanie Springer. I'm a mother to 10 and 15-year-old girls, plus writer, music therapist, producer, singer, and teacher. Here, we will interview mom bosses, entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, and passionate hobbyists and talk about how to find the thing that lights you up again. You're in there. We know it. You just have to find her again. Welcome Welcome to to the the Mother Mother Plus Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Plus Podcast. I have my co-host, Steph, with me today. Hi, Steph. How's it going? Hi, Stace. Hi. And we have a new guest, Nancy Reddy. Nancy is an award-winning author of Pocket Universe, Double Jinx, and Acadiana, as well as co-editor of The Long Devotion, Poets Writing Motherhood. Her essays have appeared in Slate, Poets and Writers, Electric Literature, Romper, Brevity, The Millions, and elsewhere. She teaches writing at Stockton University and is currently working on a narrative nonfiction book about the animal experience of early motherhood. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Nancy a little offline here, but I'll be totally transparent and say that she was one of the first guest pitches we received for this podcast. And I was flattered that this accomplished woman wanted to be on our show. <laughs> so I'm telling you right now, people, when we say, send us your ideas and your brilliant women, we mean it. We, if we like you, we will have you on the show. And this woman is incredible and she's got some fantastic things to say. And I think you guys are really going to like it. So I still have much more to learn about her and her exploration and expression of the motherhood experience. So Steph and I will be learning along with you, dear listeners. Are you ready for this, Steph? I am so ready, and I can't wait to get to know more about you and your writing. Um, But before we dive into all of that, we always start with just the basics. Um, Can you tell us about your family and where you live? Sure. So I have uh, two boys. They're not so little anymore. For a long time, I have little boys, but my baby just turned seven on Wednesday earlier this week. So I have right now a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. My eight-year-old will be nine a little bit, two boys. But we live in New Jersey, just outside Philadelphia with my husband. Awesome. Oh, seven and eight are seven and nine. Good ages. It's so much fun. I always think of that as like the sweet you, spot. You, do you, I was going to say, Stacy, do you know what I'm going to, because I, I almost always say the calm between the storms. Ah. Stacy's in one storm and I'm in another storm. Yeah. So like where you are, ooh, toddlers, teenagers. Yeah. No, yeah. it's wonderful. They're like still very cuddly and incredibly sweet, but they're also like independent and reading and brushing yeah. their own teeth and doing all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. Best, mm. best of both worlds. Awesome. All right, Nancy, who were you before you became a mom? How would you identify yourself? 
I've always identified probably since I was young as a as a writer. That was always a really important part of uh, my identity. And kind of immediately before my head, I had my kids. I had been teaching high school English for a number of years in New Orleans and then in Houston and loved that, but wanted to make more space in my brain for writing. And it seemed like an MFA was, was one way to do that. And so I applied MFA programs. My husband and I moved to uh, Wisconsin where I got accepted. And so before I had my kids, I had earned my MFA. Um, I kind of cajoled my way into the PhD program at uh, Wisconsin. And so I managed to stay for another couple of years um, in the same building. I like moved up a floor. Um, and so I, I really have always identified as a writer. And at the moment when I first had my kids, I was also really trying on this new identity of um, being a researcher and being a scholar and trying to learn how to be an academic and do all of those kinds of things. Oh, I'm so curious about this journey and the the contrast or the balance of being a researcher and an academic with being a writer. I would just love to know do you feel like one resonates more with you than the other? Are they pretty integrated? Where where does where's your heart at? I think my heart, and it's funny because I feel like the people who were my mentors in my PhD program probably knew this about me, like definitely helped me and supported me with my scholarly work, um, but probably could also see maybe better than I could the direction that I was going in in my career. So I, I definitely feel like writer has been the through line in all of that, and I really value um, what my PhD program taught me in terms of how to think about writing, it was a program in composition and rhetoric. So I learned a lot about writing pedagogy. I learned a lot about um, how people take up writing and why they write. And that's been really important to me. Um, and I also learned a lot about research and how to like ask good questions and kind of systematically get answers. And I think that's the part that's really stuck with me in my writing practice and in my writing life, even as I'm not really doing the kind of scholarly writing that I was kind of trained to do. Like I've moved away from that, but I've kept a lot of the habits of mind mm -hmm. about like always wanting to know more and ask more questions and think about how to share what I've learned through my writing. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, scholarly writing. I struggle so much with scholarly writing. I do not enjoy it at all. I don't I I don't even <laughs> like doing reported as I'm like, no, just straight personal essay. Do not make me do a hybrid thing for this. I do not want to integrate research. I just want to write my anyway. Mm -hmm. So I always yeah. I always admire people who are able to pull that pull pull both sides together. So what were your biggest concerns with becoming a mom and being an artist writer? I think that I had, so no one ever explicitly said to me, like, if you have a kid, you won't be able to, uh, you know, complete your dissertation. You won't be able to go get a good job. Like, no one ever said those things to me, but it was still somehow in the air that, like, having a baby would put all of those other things at risk. And I think I was lucky to have my kids in a moment in our department. My advisor talked about it as being the baby boom, where two of the young faculty members had babies. A number of graduate students all had kids kind of around the same time. So there was actually like a lot of people around me trying to do this thing of like working in this really demanding 
career path and also having very small kids. So there were a lot of like meetings where we would be sitting and meeting and talking about people's dissertations and like also kind of passing babies around the room uh, when they got fussy. So I felt really lucky mm -hmm. to have had that lived experience of like, this is how you can have a baby and also, you know, do your scholarly work or be an academic. But I was really, uh, I don't know. I think the idea that like having a baby means you're not serious about your career. And I think that's true across, across a lot of careers, not just academia, certainly, um, is really pervasive. And so I definitely was, I was concerned about that. And I think I was also defensive about it, like telling, telling my advisor and telling my other faculty members that I was having a baby felt like kind of confessing something like I'm doing this like illicit thing with my body when I'm supposed to be doing this thing with my mind. Um, and I was always practically really, really supported, but it still felt scary. It felt like uh, potentially a kind of dangerous or risky thing to do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think a lot of women feel that way. It's in certain environments, like revealing that you're pregnant is actually this I remember just in, in the nine to five corporate environment I was in and like a, co a close coworker of mine, like told me in secret that she was pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. She's like, don't tell anybody. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I am not ready to tell people this is a big deal <laughs> yeah. and it's going to shift their mindset of what I'm capable of here. You know? Well, and pregnancy discrimination is still really real. Someone wrote a piece not that long ago about how many women because of remote work during the pandemic had they been able to conceal their pregnancies at work for a really long time and how many of them experienced that as like incredible freedom like not having to be visibly pregnant at work you know that Interesting. it doesn't it doesn't change like our country's many problems around parental leave and childcare and all those kinds of things would alleviate the specific feeling that I know I had and that I'm, I know a lot of pregnant people have a feeling kind of like under surveillance, like someone is watching you and like watching this, you know, yes. this thing happen with your body. That is, this feels so sad and disturbing to, to be, to be where we are in the year 2022. And the fact that this is still a topic of conversation, um, I just find that really shocking um, and disappointing. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the conversations that I had with my mom, who was like a single working mom in the 80s. And she's similarly, like, she's always shocked. She's like, these are the problems that I had. And I cannot believe that people are still having, you know, these same challenges. But like, it's they're really less hard. obvious now. That's the thing. <laughs> they're not so like, overt, maybe. I think you're right about the different fields. When we were talking with Barb and Suzanne about teaching being a profession that lends itself better to motherhood, I mean, there are still like a lot of things wrong, with, especially with parental leave. Um, but that that's a career where it's not quite so polarizing. It's not such a jolt. I can think of well, I mean that, no, honestly, that's the only one I can think of right now, but like, I'm sure there are more, but I think that like academia, like you mentioned, the corporate culture, it's it because I, I never experienced that. That's jarring to consider, but. Hmm. I've been really lucky in, in my job that I have now, 
Um, you know, I went on the, I went on the academic job market when I was pregnant. I was probably like five or six months pregnant, maybe more when I was doing my campus visits. And I was really anxious about it. Like that people were going to see my body and like dismiss me as a scholar, or, like not be able to kind of like, once they saw my body, they wouldn't hear anything coming out of my mouth. Um, and what's funny is that the place where I actually work now, where I've been since then, um, Everyone, we joke about this now, everyone loved it. And of course they knew like, you can't say anything about someone's pregnancy, you know, during the hiring process, but they like pulled out pictures of other people's kids. My one colleague showed off, like she has this prize bucket that she keeps in her office for kids who come to visit. Mm. Um, and it's been, I think like my little corner of my program, like actually an incredibly supportive uh, place to work where lots of people have little kids in this moment. Um, and so I don't know, they're, they're, it's, those experiences are so local and sometimes there are really bad things that happen that cause fears across an industry. Um, and sometimes there are pockets that are really lovely and wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right, Nancy. So you are currently a mother plus writer, mother plus artist. Were any of your concerns right about not feeling like you can be both? <laughs> It's, so the anthology that um, I just edited or that just came out, it was a many year long process. The anthology that just came out this spring, The Long Devotion, Long Devotion. Writing Motherhood. Um, we started working on it in 2018. So when Emily and I started working on it, our kids were a lot younger. And the questions we started with were really questions about like, is this even possible? Like, how do you keep writing when you have kids? How do you manage the demands on your time and your brain and your body and all of those things? And a lot of the project of writing the book was looking for examples of people who were doing that and trying to um, learn about all the ways that people were writing motherhood, both the the poems they were doing. And then we also have um, a lot of craft essays uh, where people talk about their actual process. Like, this is how I wrote when my kid was really little. Now that my kids are a little older, here are the questions that I'm thinking about. And so I feel like now, you know, several years later, um, for me, I think a lot about how much my creative life has been enriched by having my kids. I mean, both practically, like I have two books out this spring that I wouldn't have written if I didn't have them. But also, aside from writing about them, they've just done so much to shift how I see the world. Like I was walking to school with my kids this morning. We live in a great little neighborhood. We walked to school and my younger son stopped on the sidewalk to like look at these bees that were on like a whole bunch of flowers. And it's the kind of thing that I don't even, you know, I'm just like going to school, like let's go kids, da, da, da. And just that like slowness and that attention um, has done a lot for my writing to think about um, the world in a kind of fresh way. So I don't know, a lot of the fears that I had have not played out. And of course it's been really hard in all kinds of ways that I couldn't have anticipated. Sure, yeah, That's, it's an interesting push-pull for sure. Um, in one of your books, The Long Devotion, the description says, as candid accounts of motherhood become more prevalent across literary, pop culture, and digital spaces, the way we talk about writing and mothering is changing. Oh, I love that so much. How is the way, in your opinion, how is the way we talk about motherhood changed? I mean, I think even, even in the time that we've worked on that book, I think there's been so much more um, candor about the hard parts for sure, but also a willingness to be kind of um, open and soft about the parts that are also really wonderful, if that makes sense. 
Um, I mean, when we started working on the book, I think that like Chrissy Teigen had been on whatever the magazine was talking about postpartum depression. And that was like, that's a revolutionary. There was this like beautiful, successful, wealthy woman talking about how hard motherhood had been for her and talking about maternal mental health in particular. Yep. And that was really like powerful for us. And I think since one of the things we talk about now is what are the things that are still taboo or what are the things that people aren't talking about as much as they should be? So I think there's still a lot more stories to be written, but I think what I've seen in the last couple of years is people being willing to just be a lot more open um, about their kind of full experience of having kids. I, I agree. We talked a, a little bit about that with our guest, Laura, when we talked about ambivalence in motherhood. Um, and, you know, my oldest is 15, almost 16, and hers is in her early 20s, I think. So when we kind of came of age as mothers, we were still on this very gradual ascent to, uh, she, she used the phrase confessional motherhood, which I love, like that was just sort of becoming a thing. There there were good examples of that earlier, like in the 80s and 90s, but that was very revolutionary, like it was not mainstream. And as Laura and I were sort of entering the new motherhood culture, we were just sort of dipping our toes in. And I feel like every year we get a little bit deeper into our ability as a, as a society to to openly express motherhood in all its complexities. And I feel like, um, you know, when you talked about motherhood sort of enhancing your writing in some ways, for me, it's what gave me this this fire and determination to write again and to write creatively, but very openly and honestly, because the, the emotional aspect of sharing candor about motherhood was was such a push for me I needed it so badly and so watching this unfolding I, is just so powerful and so important yeah. I mean and that was one of the things really that we were thinking about when we were putting together the anthology because it has poems it has craft essays and it also has writing prompts in it and it's very mm. much the, the thing that you were just speaking about of knowing like this is an experience that's really powerful and writing is, is one really um, useful way. It's not the only way, but writing for me has always been a really powerful way of thinking through like big things in my life. So that's one thing that we were hoping to do with the book is to um, use it as a way to invite people into using writing to make meaning of this, of this big transition. I'm ordering it immediately. I was going to say, I, I can't. I, wait unfortunately, to read this. we did not get to read it beforehand, and there were so many times when I was like researching in the questions, and I was like, I really feel like I would have been helpful if I could have read some of the content because it sounds incredible. So, except kind well, of not because, like, like I, I don't know. I think it's sort of valuable that we're like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I, I need to read it. I need to read it. rather than like as I was reading your book. Like, you can see our genuine enthusiasm of like, oh my gosh, I've got, I've got to get this book. I'm, I'm excited to read it, and I bet a lot of our listeners will be as well. I know we have a lot of creative women and and writers who who listen to the podcast, so I think that'll be a really great resource for people. I appreciate that. And definitely part of the of the design as well is that like poetry is something just by the nature of its brevity and its compression that you can kind of dip into and out of, you know, it's not a, a novel or a nonfiction book that you have to really commit to. You can kind of, if you have a minute, like open yep. it up, read a poem, enjoy it, put it down. You can open up your own notebook, write for a minute, put it down. And I think I mean, part of the experience of caregiving, right, is that your time is almost always so fractured mm -hmm. and I think poetry is a genre that 
um, works well within those demands. Right. I agree. I, um, is it what kind of woman? I think that's the poetry collection that I've, I, I love it because it's just sort of like, if I need just a little bite of something, I, I know that the five minutes I spend reading it are going to be like, ah, oh, like soul filling. But that's one of my favorite things about anthologies and essay collections is that you can dip in and out of it. And when we are feeling fractured and overwhelmed, and even sometimes a novel is like too much work. So love it. Let's talk about your other book for a second, Pocket Universe. I love this description. It goes from 16th century Paris to Instamommies and celebrities mm. who effortlessly got their body back after baby. So that's quite a jump. <laughs> Can we talk about why motherhood feels like such an impossible feat these days? Um, through all the research you've done through this book, as well as the other book, what, what have you found? One thing I've been thinking about a lot is how many moments in like our country's history where we could have made things easier and instead we made them harder. Um, like during World War II, there were all of these um, child care centers that were in operation for women who were called into the workforce and they were wildly popular and they let all kinds of um, people access the workforce and their kids got really good quality care and then they shut them all down. It was like we had this, we had this like moment where we could have had like a publicly supported system that would have been good for kids and mothers and families and the economy. And we chose to not do that. It's was not. when the war ended, you mean? That's when they yes, shut exactly. down? Yes, mm-hmm. when the war ended, you know, there was this, this desire to, you know, um, bring all of those veterans into the workforce, concerns that, you know, working working women, you know, needed to go back. Put the women back at home where the they belong. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like it's like this moment where things could have been different. And, and instead what a missed made opportunity. Yeah, the, the, the path not taken was definitely the path that should have been taken. And I think it's hard not to get hung up on the wrongness of that, especially when we look at other cultures that are getting so much right. And it's like, how can we be so progressive and so whatever we are and have missed so much? So anyway, go on, continue, because that's a, that's a tangent. I could go down that rabbit hole. You probably go there and talk about that all day. I mean, one thing that I've thought about a lot that I think is, is, is a constant across kind of generations of mothers. And like a generation of mothers is actually a very short period of time, right? Like Stacy, you and I probably even are having very different experiences. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, five years different. Like my, my best friend has a seven-year-old and her yeah. experience with her baby at that point is way different than mine already. Yeah. It's crazy how fast it's changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and not just me, it's certainly the pandemic, you know, has like incredibly hyped all kinds of things. Um, but, but even with that, I think just like the kind of way that we talk about motherhood changes so quickly in each like generation of mothers, um, mm-hmm. you know, has new influences and new, uh, new whatever. But I think one thing that feels to me like really a constant is just sort of bonkers expectations for what like a good mother can be, right? Like, like I became a mother in Madison during a moment where like attachment parenting felt like a really powerful influence. It was like in the air. Like I never read Dr. Sears, but I just like soaked it in somehow. Um, By osmosis, it was like embedded on our collective subconscious mind, like Elmo. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, how do you know who Elmo is? How do I know who Dr. Sears? Like, it's just in there now. We've just been programmed. 
And, it's, and, that was, and that's so hard to, um, like when it just drips into your brain, it's so hard to step back and say like, wait, do I really believe that? Do I really think that's the best thing for my kid or for me? And I think about now, like the, um, all of the kind of parenting conversation around like gentle parenting and conscious parenting, which like sounds so lovely, but seems to me like another version of telling, telling, I mean, women in particular, that they need to be perfect, that they need to be doing more, that there is like a way to be a mother um, that really often has nothing to do with your actual kid, right? Is there's this kind of like model that you're trying to fit into or your personality or your temperament. One of my favorite books that I've ever read on parenting is called Mother Styles, and it's about parenting for your personality type based on Myers-Briggs. And I found it really- That's brilliant. It was really validating because it was like, oh my God, as an ENFJ, of course I'm the heart to heart mom who's super good at the closeness and the nurturing and I suck at this and I suck at that and there are reasons for it and it's because this is the way I'm wired and it's about how to understand both your strengths and your struggles and it's like, it's not that one size fits all where we try to cram ourselves into these roles that don't work for us that might not be intuitive at all. Oh my goodness. I spent the first two years of my motherhood just obsessed with Montessori and I still respect Montessori and appreciate it. And I think there's value from it, but I, I wanted so badly to be the perfect Montessori mom. I, I was constantly stressed out because that a lot of it doesn't naturally work for my personality either. So that makes so much sense to me. And I'm very, um, studious, like a dogmatic, like I, I, mm. I have to choose one way, you know, I'm a paleo dieter. I am, you know, I was in CrossFit and now I'm a Montessori mom and like, I have to follow it to a T and like, it's taken me a while, like to get to the point where I'm like, <laughs> you do not have to follow every little thing and go with what works for you and not. And I love what you said about stepping back and like questioning, like, does that really make sense? <laughs> like, or does that make sense for me? Does that make sense for my family? So I love that you said that. That's so smart. Um, can you comment a little bit more about social media? I don't, have you, did you do a lot of research on social media and motherhood? Cause I'm really interested in that and how it's affected, you know, our perceptions. So interesting. So I do not like in the book that I'm working on, um, like I, that's not a focus of my research. Sarah Louise Peterson is working on a book about like um, Instagram mom influencer culture, which is fascinating. But it's the yes. kind of thing that I kind of have to like read with one eye closed because it stresses me out so much. Oh, no. uh, even reading her description of it, I, I joined Instagram in 2013 when my baby was born, because it seemed like an easy way to share pictures of my kid with our family. And it's wild to me that like in that time, he's almost nine. So like in almost nine years, it, it now feels like this entirely other animal. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about it. And I feel like I'm always trying to like consider my boundaries around social media. Cause on the one hand I do, I love seeing like pictures of people's kids and stuff that they're doing and the people are going. And I've gotten to know lots of like great writers that I, that I really love and right. respect through social media. But I also am really cognizant just of like cognitive load in my brain. Like, I don't think we're supposed to know that much stuff about oh that. Oh my gosh. People. Like yes. it just, and, it, and that is really at odds with the kind of like deep thinking I need to do in order to write and also just in order to feel like an okay person. So right. and in order for your nervous system to not be constantly flipping out. 
I think when we take a look at at motherhood's evolution over the decades, like there are so many things that we're doing better now as far as speaking candidly and openly. Mm -hmm. And then there are an equal number of things we're doing to shoot ourselves in the other foot, you know, as far as being overburdened and overscheduled and overwhelmed over everything. It's, I feel like a lot of us are operating with this sort of constant undercurrent of low grade anxiety all the time. And I'm not really sure what to do about that. I think about, so like last summer, I was so happy to have there be camps and things available for my kids again. Mm-hmm. So I scheduled them like wall to wall to wall camps and it was fun, but it definitely felt um, like a little harried. It was kind of like too much. And so this summer I really pulled back. I felt like I just realized that we need a little more space in our mm-hmm. time. You need um, a 1980s summer. That's my, that's my trademark every year since, since the first year I was like, oh shit, we were supposed to book summer camp in January. I guess we're just hanging out this summer. That was, that was the beginning of my 1980s summers. And like the countdown is on. We have, okay, two and a half more days of school. And then it is 1980s summer. We are like just unplugging from our schedules. We need a reset. We'll do stuff. But like first, I feel like this week of cleansing from busyness and rushing, we don't have to get anywhere. We don't have to get dressed. You don't want to take a shower? Don't shower. I'll even let you not brush your teeth for like a day, you know, just, um, no, just embrace a little of the 1980s summer this year. See if it makes you feel just a little bit better. Yeah, no, that's super validating because it does feel a little bit, I, for whatever reason, there's so many things that I let go of, like things that I feel like I should do that I just kind of like happily left by the side of the road, but there's right. still some stuff around like activities, uh, maybe summer in particular that I feel, I don't know, am I supposed to be enriching them, exposing them, et cetera, but like maybe they can also just like sit on the back porch, like go to the pool. Right. Dig in yeah. the dirt. Yeah. They're enriched all the time. Right. <laughs> they need to yeah. be unenriched. <laughs> I they, I love that we're talking about summer and it looks like there is a damn blizzard happening outside my window. Do you see what is happening, Stacy? It is like hardcore snowing. It's worse over here. I'm in the foothills, I'm man. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm, I will try to regroup. We, we can, it's we, your quest. it's your it turn. It is my to... question. I know. And the rabbit holes, when we start talking about motherhood, Oh, the places will go. I mean, you just never know. Okay, so what have you learned from writing two books about motherhood? One being an anthology with the collection of poems and essays from other mothers about yourself as a mother. One big takeaway is just that, like, this quest that I was on to, like, learn how to do it right. Like, to learn the rules and follow them and read the experts and do what they said, that that's, it's no way to live, but it's also really like no way to parent. And so I think one thing that like editing the anthology in particular, and then developing relationships with a lot of those poets, some of whom I knew, many of whom I didn't, has really shown me that the experience is actually so, so various and that there are lots of really good ways to and I actually really hate even the phrase like good mom. I feel like that's not useful, but there are lots of ways to like be a parent to your kid and to be the parent that your kid needs that aren't about following the rule. And also I just think I'm um, a lot about the importance of, this is one of the reasons why I was drawn to your podcast, like the importance of being a person even after you yes. have Because I think there's so much messaging in our culture that's kind of like, you're a mom now, like, and everything you were before you have shucked off and moved past. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. 
one of the things that I have really loved is just getting, I love talking about writing process and like creative process, like how do you actually do it? And having everything from, we have a bunch of essays that address that. And some are kind of like, um, we have a great essay by Molly Spencer who wraps about like you're just writing into these like pockets of time. Like you're, you're in the doctor's waiting room. You're going to write for a minute. You're, you know, just kind of, kind of seizing, yes. seizing all of the minutes that you can. But we also definitely have writers who talk about like having, having left their kids to go away for a weekend, away for a week. And I think that having all of those different models has been really important to me that there's not one way, but there are lots of ways. And what's right depends on a lot of things and also shifts over the course of your, your yeah. kind of writing and mothering. I love that, you know, you were just talking about how you've learned that there's not one right way to be a mother, but also there's not one right way to be a mother plus writer or a mother plus artist. Maybe you are a pocket person. Maybe you are a retreat immersive person. Maybe you're a morning writer or a nap time writer or you're just the the various, I mean, not just to say schedules and rituals, but but processes can vary so much that I like that message. It's not always, it's not just you don't have to do motherhood this one way. It's you don't have to do motherhood plus your thing a certain way. You get to make it work for you as well. I've never really thought about it in those terms. Thank you for that. Well, I've been really lucky over the last several years to uh, be connected to the Sustainable Arts Foundation, um, which mm -hmm. gives grants to writers and artists who have kids. And one of the things that I've learned from them um, they talk about having been, Caroline and Tony Grant talk about having been motivated to start it because um, Tony's father, I believe, was a, was a painter. And he used to do these really enormous paintings um, that were like totally immersive experiences. And they would take like, you know, probably hundreds of hours to make. And then after he had kids, he didn't want to um, have to be in the studio for, for that long at a stretch. And so he actually just started making smaller paintings. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a pretty amazing example of how- Great analogy. Right, like you can continue to um, be a parent, be a creative person, but something changes, right? And it's you're still doing your work and you're doing it in a way that like works with the other parameters of your life. And there's no, there's no shame in making a smaller painting. I, I love that analogy. Like, oh, smaller paintings. That, that's right. awesome. It that's might look different. Painting. You're still doing the But work. it's still a painting, yeah. Right. What would you say to other women listening who used to consider themselves artists, writers, but they've forgotten how to be after they became mothers? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, like we definitely have talked about process and all of those kinds of things, the kind of, you know, practical ways that you can make that work. But I think even above all of that is the fact that it still matters. I think that um, it's so easy, especially when you have really little kids. You know, my kids are not like waking up at all hours. Like they're not going to, you know, die if I look away from them for, you know, five minutes. They fall down the stairs, you know, so I'm in a different stage than I was, you know, a couple of years ago. But I think it can be, um, especially in very early motherhood, really easy to lose track of the things that really made you feel like you and for me writing is a really important one um, I think creative life in general is important for a lot of people and it can be really easy to not do that work when you're really consumed with like keeping a little person alive but I also think it really matters I think that like all of our stories matter um, creativity really matters. And I think it also is really important um, for kids to see 
their yes. parents doing work that matters to them. That's something that I really tried, especially, you know, when we were all home during the pandemic to, to say to my kids, like, now I am working on my writing. Like, you know, you can sit behind me on the floor, mm-hmm. like whatever, whatever you're doing, or you can leave the room. But like, now I am doing this thing that is important. And I think that's pretty good for them to know that I am a person and I am yes. doing that matters to me and that are important. You yes. know, this is so beautiful. And I, we obviously were the Mother Plus podcast. There, There's a podcast for dads, I know, but I am going to add this little note about a dad I just met. We had, <laughs> we've had sort of a, a slightly hellish first half of May, but we also had a, a pipe burst, just a minor thing, but it's still, we had like a little laundry room flooding issue. We had no water for a few days. So when the, um, plumber came to the house. We were just like so happy to see him. And true to form, Stacy, you know, I of course got into a very in-depth conversation with this young man and he saw my teenager with her drum and was like, oh my gosh, are you in marching band? He was a marching band dude. So we're talking about instrumental music and how he'd been in a drum corps. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so great. Do you still play? This little guy, he's 22 years old and he's he's a young dad. He's like, well, I had my first baby. She's she's almost a year. So, you know, I, I haven't really, I haven't played my instrument since she was born. And I was like, don't quit doing what you love. <laughs> I was like, I was a little intense. I was like, I wanted to like grab his shoulders and be like, keep playing your baritone. Don't stop playing your instrument. You're a person too. Like Aww. you have to keep doing. And I think he was like, I, I like being a dad. It's great. And I'm like, listen, just don't let yourself slide out of it. Right. Like, you know, it's easy. The, the first year you're this like, poor well, guy was the first probably, year. And then it's, I know, but then I know I'm like, get back in it. Yeah. Just play it for a few minutes. Just find a little pocket. Anyway, I was a little intense, but I was just, I feel so strongly about new parents. Yeah. Catch yourself. Like, yes, especially when you're so exhausted and you're learning a, a whole new skill right. of, of keeping a child alive. Yes, you've got to be it, but like, just pay attention. Don't, don't let yourself sneak out the back door without noticing, you know, because like the longer you're gone, the harder it is to find you again. Yeah. Well, I think also one thing that's really, that was especially important to me when my kids were really little was, um, taking advantage of like little moments, right? Like I don't have a whole day that I can go to a coffee shop and sit and no one's going to bother me, right? Like that's not my life. Um, it wasn't my life when my kids were babies at least, you know? Um, but what I can do is like sit outside of daycare for three minutes because I've got like a mm-hmm. there and like write something on a, you know, um, like scroll it across my steering wheel with my notebook um, or, you know, like a little minute, um, you know, if I'm up before they are in the morning. And I think like those, those little minutes, especially when your kids are really little, um, yes. can be important because if you wait until you have like the perfect time that never comes, right. um, I actually wrote a lot of talk at universe that way. There were parts that I looked back later at that notebook that I kept during that year. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. there's poems in here. I thought yeah. I was just kind of like scrawling things, but yeah. there's something in here that I can work with. That's that so the great. title of your next book, Little Minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you have do you have a, a an excerpt you would like to share? But it'll kind of tease people to get to understand more what the what the book is about. So yeah, that please. Yes, yes. please. Yes, we would <laughs> yes, give us an excerpt. One of the so I'm gonna read one poem from early on in the book. And the book starts with the very first um ultrasound that I had with my older son, and it ends with his um 
fifth birthday. So it's a, you know, kind of follows that chronological arc of the first couple of years. And one of the things um, that I was thinking a lot about as I was writing this book was just how my kids like made me see the world in this kind of like new and sharp way. My older son went through this phase of being really obsessed, as I think a lot of kids do, with space and like the planets and all of that. And I was like, oh man, the moon, like it's up there. That's amazing. Like I just, you know, I hadn't thought about it. It was like really got my brain going again. So this is one of the first poems in the book. Um, it's called First Light, which is the uh, name of the first image that a new telescope takes. First Light. Astronomers tilt the telescope to gaze at distant galaxies, and we can see the early universe in the light that finally finds us. The blue street whirls of hydrogen, the knotted newborn stars. The universe was, for millions of years, full only of the darkest dark, the just-born elements clustering and joining, until all at once, like the bright quick heat of a good idea or a dividing cell, starlight, and all the heavy atoms that give us this good life formed inside those blazing short-lived stars. We can only see the places in the universe the light has touched. We have to learn to look the way that one October afternoon, I lay against the crinkling paper of the exam table while the nurse swabbed gel across my belly. And in the night sky of the uterus, on the grayscale screen of a handheld sonogram, we saw it all at once. The striations of muscle and space, the stuttering and blinking, the insistent flicker of a beating heart. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, just beautiful. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. This book is going to make me cry. My daughter is going to turn five soon and I am just like... I am freaking out. <laughs> it's a big, that's not like a really big, big, uh, really big house. It is. It's exciting, it is. right? Like it's lots of good stuff, but it's big. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this has been a great conversation. I knew you would like her. Yeah, a perfect, a perfect match, perfect fit for the podcast. And I, I can't thank you enough, Nancy. I think people are really, are really going to enjoy reading your books and are going to enjoy listening to this conversation. And I'm grateful that you were able to share so generously and honestly with us about what the experience of being a mother plus writer has been like for you and the many shapes it can take. Can you can you tell everybody where we can find you um, and your books? Sure, that is great. So you can find me, my website is just nancyready.com. You can find me on the internet probably more than I, more than I should be. <laughs> um, but the project that I'm working on now that I'm really excited about is a new newsletter that is about mothering um, and kind of the history and culture and this question that we were talking about about like, how did we get here? Like, why is this so hard right now? What could we have done differently? So the newsletter is Good Creatures. And that's goodcreatures.substack.com and you can find it there. I'm okay. going to, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, that. yeah, we'll put it all in the show notes. I'm like, as soon as we hang up, I have got, I have got books to order and newsletters to sign up for. Cause I, I can't get enough of this subject matter and you're just, you're just such a great person to talk about it with. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you all. I haven't gotten a chance to talk. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mother Plus Podcast. We cannot believe how many people out there are listening and loving our message. It's honestly a total, it's a dream come true for me and Steph. 
And we are just so grateful for all of you and for your views and comments and emails. And we wanted to make something for you to thank you and keep the momentum going. It's called the permission slip, as in you have permission to pursue acting. You have permission to pursue writing. You have permission to pursue hot air ballooning if that's your thing. This guide is to help you find the other side of your plus. In it, we will help you dive into who you were before you became a mom and in turn, plan out the woman you want to become now that you are. It's so good, guys. We spent so much time on this. It's got everything you need to know to get your wheels turning. And most importantly, it also gives you practical steps you need to take to actually pursue your passions, even if you still have kids in diapers. All of this is available to you for free. You just have to visit motherplusser.com forward slash permission hyphen slip. That's motherplusser.com forward slash permission hyphen slip to download it. We hope that just by taking this one little step for yourself, it will put you on the path to find the thing that lights you up again. Go get it, Mother Plusers. We'll see you next time.